It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's a beautiful. Would you be mine? Would you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always. There it is. Neighbor, would you be mine? Would you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in the neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, you might as well say, "Would you be mine? Would you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you be? Please, won't you be my neighbor?" But don't forget. I have to put on the little red sweater. <laughs> How are you today, everyone? It's so good to see you here this morning. Don't you just feel like neighbors? You know, it's interesting. The concept of neighborhood didn't begin with Mr. Rogers. It actually began with Jesus. And a question that Jesus had. Thank you. Thank you. I've practiced this a ton of times, and I just couldn't get the sweater and the timing of it all right. And you can't hear back here because all the sound is out there, and I don't have those little inner ear cool things. So, but um, Mr. Rogers made a great and lasting impact on my life because he was all about being a good neighbor. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter ten. We're going to look at the scripture today. Luke chapter 10, we're actually going to end up in John 4, but we're going to start in Luke 10. Mr. Rogers had one goal, and that was to um, communicate to children and adults alike to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Luke chapter 10 Verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a parable. A parable of the story of the Good Samaritan. Now you need to understand the context before we get to John 4 of the Samaritans. The Samaritans were hated people by the Jews, and the Samaritans reciprocated with that hate. They did not get along. They did not like each other. The Jews viewed them as second-class citizens. They were a minority that was putrid, half-breeds. They were intermarried with the Gentiles of the region. And when the Jews came back from um, captivity, from the Persian Empire, these pure-blooded Jews viewed them as Samaritans, these half-blooded Jews. And because of that, there was great disdain and hate. Now, they all were from Jacob. 
They were all of that line and lineage so that they taught their children, the Samaritans, but there was this class system that was established, much like you would see in India today. And the Samaritans were at the bottom of the rung. The Romans didn't like them. The Jews hated them. And um, they pretty much kept to themselves. The problem was, on a map, Jerusalem and Galilee. The Samaritans resided in between these two major population areas in Israel. And so anytime you were in Galilee going down to Jerusalem, you had to go through Samaria. And anytime you were going from Jerusalem up to Galilee, you had to go through Samaria. Otherwise, you'd have to walk very, 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 very far away around Samaria so that you wouldn't have to interact with them. Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan and says, because the man was trying to justify himself, who is my neighbor? Maybe this guy was prejudiced towards Samaritans. It doesn't really matter. He had a disdain. Jesus tells the story of how all these godly, quote-unquote godly religious people passed by this man who was beat up, but a Samaritan stopped and helped him. And then Jesus looked and said, you should do likewise. It's important for us to understand this in regards to and in light of John 4. So now turn in your Bibles over to John chapter 4 because this is where we're going to be today. This is the main text. John chapter 4, how to connect with the lost. Who are the lost, you might say? The lost are anyone that Christ has not found. The lost are everyone that don't know what they're doing. What do I mean by that? Well, when Jesus was hanging on the cross and dying, he looked out to those that had put him there, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They're lost. The Bible, another time, Jesus is looking out over Jerusalem, and he is grieved and he weeps because they were sheep without a shepherd. They were lost. They were wandering. Jesus loved the lost. And if you're here today and you feel like you don't have a place to belong or you feel alone and isolated, let me share something with you. Jesus is looking for you. It's why you're here. He loves you. He absolutely is crazy about you. He died on the cross to prove it and rose from the dead. This is called the good news of the gospel. But this morning as we talk about how to connect with the lost, we need to look at John 4 and the fact that Jesus didn't just say, go love the Samaritans and tell a great story, but Jesus actually did it. Jesus actually just didn't tell this story in regards to hoping that they would do that, Jesus, in walking through Samaria, actually engaged one of the worst of the worst on the social scale, this woman at the well. John chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making the bat and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had passed through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, middle of the day. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then John gives us a little commentary and says, for the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. I mean, they didn't interact at all. You're walking down the street, a Samaritan is in front of you, Jews would cross the street to walk on the other side to miss the Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Verse 12, are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. She was quite virtuous. And the one who you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Verse 22, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Let's pray. Precious Father, illuminate Your Word to us. Teach us what it is to be a neighbor. As Jesus demonstrates and illustrates in this passage, this true story of the way the Son of God interacted with a Samaritan woman. Father, you know all things. You know that we need you. You know that we confess our dependency upon you. You know that I don't deserve the opportunity to share your word, but yet you have called me and asked me to. And so I pray, Lord God, that these words would be your words and not mine. I pray, Lord God, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Mr. Rogers, for years, wanted people to know who their neighbor was. Jesus, in talking 
with this lawyer and demonstrating in this story who our neighbor is. I grew, um, I spent time in Florida for a number of years. My wife was born and raised, and twice every year you get to know your neighbors in Florida. It's during Halloween, it's when all the lost people come out, and it's also during hurricane season, it's when you get to know your neighbors. You got everything you need? Yeah, I got everything, you know, and everybody kind of comes out and does the neighbor thing. It's kind of similar here when we were getting ready for the hurricane that was not, um, and they canceled school and all of that, and, and it hit below. You get to know your neighbors. How are you doing? How's everything? Is everything ready? Are you prepared? Are you ready? But it's interesting, in this story, Jesus didn't wait. He actually had a conversation with someone who he probably wasn't supposed to, according to social standards. It's, it's kind of awkward sometimes to interact with people. We live by fear. We live in our own little communities. We live in our own little Christian bubble sometimes as Christians. You know, I mean, think about the Christian subculture. We eat Chick-fil-A. We vote a certain way. We, we do all of these things in a way that kind of create this, this thing, that we surround ourselves with people that think like us, act like us, dress like us. And Jesus is walking up and goes through Samaria, this little town, and he interacts with somebody he shouldn't. He connects with this woman. And if you're taking notes, it's important for us to understand the five ways that we can connect with the lost by following the example of Jesus. We submit to the text and what the text is saying, and that's what I want to share with you. And we're going to follow Jesus' example. And it's my prayer that we, at the end of this time, would understand that our neighbors are anyone we come in contact with. Anyone that Jesus brings into our life where we can have a conversation. Our neighbors are the ones that we go to work with, that we go grocery shopping with. The people in this peninsula that we do life with. Those are our neighbors. Those are the ones that we're to look at and go... It's you I like. Those are the ones that we're to listen to and interact with and talk to. Whether we know them intimately or not. Those are the ones that we're to bring cookies to and invite to Christmas Eve. Those are the ones that we're to love. And so, if you're taking notes, write this down. Because it's important for us to understand and follow the Lord Jesus Christ's example from this text. And the first one is this. We have to be satisfied with yourself in sharing the gospel. What do I mean by that? So here's Jesus, a Jew. And he's sitting by this well. And... He is, this woman comes up in the middle of the day. This is not the normal time to get water. Normally, servants, slaves, women, it was not viewed very favorably to go and get water, but that was the low thing on the totem pole that you had to do every day if you were going to provide water for your family. So this woman, so you would do it usually first thing in the morning. This woman's coming in the middle of the day. Why is she coming in the middle of the day? You can speculate. There's three reasons why possibly. One, she was a social outcast and none of the women wanted to do anything with her. They didn't like her. 
Number two, maybe she just slept in. It's possible. Number three, maybe she was a woman of the night. She interacted and did all of her dealings at night, and so therefore this was the normal time for her in which she got up. We don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but we know that this was an awkward time for her to go and get water. I believe it was the first. I believe she was a social outcast. This woman had been married five times, was living with someone who was not her husband. The village was probably not that large. Everybody probably knew her in a certain way. Maybe she was a prostitute of sorts, but she was probably a fairly attractive woman at one point. Men wanted to be with her. And she comes to get water, and Jesus, a 31, 32-year-old carpenter, maybe raised as a carpenter, probably athletic build, handsome by all purposes, looks at her and asks her for a drink of water. Maybe she was thinking he was hitting on her. You thought about that. Woman by himself, man by himself, he says something to her, please give me some water. She knows that she's a Samaritan, knows he's a Jew. She engages in a conversation. How do we know that Jesus was satisfied with himself? This is important to understand. Number one, he was worried. He was wearied from his journey. He was satisfied to just sit there at the well. He was satisfied with who God had called him to be, who he was and what God had called him to do. He wasn't insecure thinking, what will happen if the disciples come back and see me talking to this woman, a Samaritan? They might think less of me. Jesus wasn't concerned about that. He wasn't concerned with what happens if some Samaritans come or some other Jews that are coming up, traveling through Samaria, see me talking to this woman that has had five husbands and is on her sixth man that she's living with. Jesus wasn't afraid of what people thought. He was satisfied with who God had him. He was God, but what God had called him to do. He was satisfied with that. His motives were pure. His focus was right. And he was going to be obedient to what God had wanted him to do. I think sometimes we don't share the gospel because it would be like, well, what will happen if someone sees me talking to this woman? They might think I'm hitting on her. They might think ill of me or they might whatever. Now, I'm not saying don't be careful. We need to be careful. We need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, what the Bible tells us. But it doesn't mean we should run away from conversation and live in our own little homogeneous group. But we should be out and strike up conversations with people. And that comes from being satisfied with how God has saved us and what God has called us to do. And if we're insecure, if we're fearful, if those are the things that are going through our minds, we will never reach out to the lost. We will never connect with him. Nobody will be our neighbor except the people we like. Jesus said, you love those that love you. What good is that? Even the Pharisees do that. I tell you, love your enemies. We live in a divided country, and let me share something with you. And and please take this the right way. I think it's because of Christians. 
We are got to, because here's the deal, lost people act lost. They'll always act lost. They'll always do the wrong thing. God has called us to do the right thing. We're the ones that have to go. We're the ones that have to have the conversations. We're the ones that have to love the people that don't love us. So why are we huddling together? God's called us to get out of our comfort zone. But before that happens, we have to be satisfied with who we are in sharing the gospel. Are you satisfied with where you are with Jesus Christ? Are you saved? Do you love Jesus more than you love the praises of man? Do you love Jesus more than you fear what other people will say or think? Secondly is this, we have to be able to love the social outcast. Look at verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, for the disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus answered her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one now is not your husband. (laughs) This is not a very socially acceptable thing to do in this day and age. Even today, if someone's been married once, okay, yay, we're happy for you. You found the love of your life. Married twice, okay, you got a bad apple. Married three times, I'm just talking about the way the world sees this. God hates divorce, but, you know, obviously there's, there's these issues that we have in our lives. Number three, they, they get married, hey, third time's a charm, praise God. You've been married four times, okay, she, you know, think about it in a woman's stick, or they're starting to lose it. They've been married five times. They're crazy. Leave them alone. Psycho. Run away. I'm just telling you, that's the way the world sees it. If you don't believe me, Google Elizabeth Taylor. And what you think about her and what they said about her at the end of her life. Always looking for love, never being able to find it. All of those types of things. Why? Because our society even looks at that and says, yeah, that's broken. She was a social outcast, but Jesus loved social outcasts. Who are the social outcasts in your life? Who are the people that nobody wants to sit with at lunch if you're a college student or a high school student? Who are the people in your life at work that nobody wants to be friends with? It's like we're going to get their sin on us or something. We're standing in line and man, and oh my goodness, that woman's dressed a little weird or that man is like, oh man, he, I'm going to get a little fornication on me. I won't be able to get it off or, you know, I, I don't know what's going on. We're so consumed with ourselves that we miss out that God has called us to love those that no one else loves. Who are those people in your life? Those are your neighbors. Who are those people that nobody loves? Those are your neighbors. We went to Puerto Rico um, this last week, just got back, and there's some great um, slides you can see. We, we rebuilt this community. We're working with this organization to rebuild this community. We're going in July. I would encourage you, it's $1,100, you need to go. Because it's a bunch of old people that nobody wants to do anything with, and they're social outcasts, and nobody wants to help them. 
and they still have, and, and when I was flying into Puerto Rico and you see a thousand blue tarps on these roofs and nobody's there to be able to help them. And some people are helping them and stuff, but at the end of the day, they're just looking for someone to come alongside them. They want to help you. But in this neighborhood, there's all of these elderly people and they have no ability to be able to fix their homes. And they, they, this organization we're with is three churches basically have come together and said, we're going to do something about this. And they're doing something about it. Now, there's outside groups coming in to help them, but regardless, they don't really care. They, you could come help us, but we're doing it because this is what God has called us to do because we want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And so we're there and we're helping build roofs and rebuild buildings and these types of things and loving on these people because no one else will. Who are those people in our life? Yes, they exist in Puerto Rico, but they also exist here on the peninsula. No one is beyond the reach of God. Third, to follow Jesus' example, we have to be willing to initiate the talk and gracious enough to listen. We have to be willing to get out of our comfort zone and to initiate the talk of Jesus. Let me share with you how my grandmother did. She's with the Lord now. She died at 96, but I remember going to Disney World with her, and when you walk into the park, over on the right-hand side, there's an Italian restaurant and these rocking chairs, and at any time, everyone was her neighbor. And she'd wear these bright colors very young, very spunky, and when you're old, you can say whatever you want, and so um, she would. And I remember sitting in the rocking chairs, and I remember we're, we're rocking, and this man sits next to her, and she leans over, and she goes, do you have your ticket? And he's like, yeah, I think I got it somewhere, you know, because he had just gotten into the park. And then she goes, no, I'm talking about your ticket to heaven. Do you know Jesus Christ? And then she went to explain the gospel, how Jesus Christ came to this earth to die on the cross for his sins, for every sin that he's ever committed, and that he could receive Christ into his life and be changed new, and that he rose from the dead, proving that he could do it, and that he needs to invite Christ into his life. And so he's having this little conversation with my grandmother, and then he, he gets up and he says, well, thank you. And my grandmother grabs his hand. Go, Grandma, Right? And she says, I'm going to pray for you. And I remember sitting next to her there going, okay, we've got to pray. We're going to pray right now. And she prayed for this man. Now, he did not invite Christ into his life, but, you know, statistically, um, there's, a, there's a survey that came out. It was about 15 years old. It says that, every, that the average person hears the gospel about 6.7 times before they invite Christ into their life. 6.7 times. Not the first, not the second, not the third, not the fourth, not the fifth, not the sixth, point seven. Just be the point seven person, okay? Hey, Jesus died on the cross. Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Jesus, okay, that's the point seven. All right, and then move on to the next person. No, it's that concept of Jesus was willing to initiate the talk and gracious enough to listen. Look at verse 12, what Jesus says. Are you greater than our father's Jacob is her response. He gave us a drink from the water uh, from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I will give them will never be thirsty again. What was Jesus doing? Jesus was talking about a need that she had in her life. 
because he had listened to what she had said to him. We are living in a society now where nobody wants to listen. Everybody wants to talk. And because of that, nobody will love. We need to get some perspective. We need to understand. We need to sit there and we need to listen. Jesus listened to this woman. And as she talked to him, he responded in love and compassion. He initiated the talk, but he was gracious enough to listen. And what she was saying was not right. Some of the things she was saying theologically weren't right. And Jesus didn't go, you're wrong. <laughs> you realize that like in a week we're supposed to go vote. And there's going to be a lot of people that are voting one way and voting another. Huge divide. When's the last time you sat down with somebody that voted differently than you? And it wasn't about being right. It wasn't about winning a conversation. It was just listening. So that you could find a way to love them in sharing the gospel, not change them politically. See, that, I feel like, is why we're losing in the church. Because Jesus didn't ask her about her politics. What do you think about Rome? No, Jesus looked at the woman and went right to the need and he was talking to her and he was listening to her and they was having a conversation with who she was and she, he treated her like a person and he loved her. And number four, he was studied up to share the gospel with her. He knew what God wanted him to share. He kept the main thing, the main thing. We have to be studied up to share the gospel. St. Jerome said this, ignorance of the scripture is ignorance of Christ. Most of us don't know, really know who Christ is because we don't know the Scripture. Get in the Scripture and you'll know Christ because the whole thing's about Christ. It helps us understand the Gospel. You guys have your little, um, your little thingies. Grab a thingy. It's a black thingy and it's got a little thing you can put it on your keychain. And inside it, there's this thing, pull out the cube. It's actually a cube. It'll become a cube. Everybody pull it out. We've been trying to share with you, here's opportunities, here's ways, okay? I'm a picture person. We live in a picture society. You can get this. There's an app on your phone, E3 Partners. You can look it up. But here it is. This is for you to take, okay? After you share it with someone and they give their life to Christ, you can give it to them. I'll get you another one. Don't be like, no, I got to share it for the next person. I'm saving it. Go give it to them, okay? Here it is. I want to go through this very quickly. This is the first one. Man, God, our sin separates us from God. Man's always trying to get to God, can't get to God. God has to get to man. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what did God do? God sent his son towards us, but God demonstrated his love towards us in that we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You have Jesus on the cross. You open it up to Jesus on the cross. This is the gospel, in case you wanted to know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. 
but he didn't, what happened? They took, they took his body and they put it in a Roman, in a tomb. The Roman guards guarded it. The good news is that he didn't stay dead. He had the power to raise himself from the dead. Nobody's raised themselves from the dead, but Jesus did. And then, oh, Jesus rises from the dead. You can do the little, oh, if you want to. Oh, it's more effective sometimes, depending on who you're talking to. But Jesus rose himself from the dead, proving that he was God and that he could pay for our sins. Now, you open it up a little further. Now God reaches out to man. There's the bridge illustration if you were here a few weeks ago and you saw it on the whiteboard. God invites us to have a relationship with Jesus Christ to save us. And we stand and Jesus is there and he's looking and he's provided the way for us to be to God. Because Jesus rose bodily from the dead, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We have to come through Jesus Christ. Him alone is the only one that can save us. It's the most fair system. People go, wasn't that narrow-minded? My always response is, it's the most fair system because it's not based upon what you do, how much money you give, how good you are. It's only based upon what you do with Jesus. It's not based upon your race. It's not based upon your social economic status. It's the most fair system. It's just based upon what you do with Jesus Christ. Next thing, you open it up, and then you have Jesus reach down. But God demonstrated his love towards us, and that's why we're still sinners. Christ died for us. He rose from the dead. He saved us and pulled us from hell to be in relationship with God the Father. You need to believe and receive. Repent, believe, receive. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Have you ever sinned? Basically say, have you ever told a lie? Everyone says yes. If not, then you can say, oh, got you. You're a liar. Um, Yes, you sinned, and because of that, you ask for forgiveness for your sins. Jesus forgives you, and he saves you to be with the Father. And then you open it up. On the backside, you see that there's a heart. Now, when they invite Christ into their life, then you say, because God loves us, he wants us to grow in him. And so we pray, we read the Bible, we tell others, and we live in community with others. There is the Evangel Cube. You have it. It's another opportunity for you to be able to share the gospel, but you need to be studied up to share the gospel. Memorize the Romans Road. Study the scriptures. Be ready when someone asks you questions. First Peter 3.15, write that down. Be ready to give an answer to everyone that asks you the hope that's within you. Be ready to be fulfilled with the work We must live and act as Jesus in our everyday encounters with the people. Sharing the gospel is about sowing and reaping. Jesus sowed one seed in a person and reaped a harvest because of his one encounter. The Bible says here that the woman goes into town, gets her entire village to come out. The disciples come out. Jesus now is then talking to the disciples because the disciples want him to eat something. And Jesus, this is number five, Jesus was fulfilled with the work that God had given him. Look at, ver- look, at, look at verses 31 through 38. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Jesus was sharing Christ. Jesus was sharing himself with these people. His disciples said, eat. We know you're tired, Jesus. 
But he said to him, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And so the disciples said to one another, has someone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, the other reaps. I sent you to reap that that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. One person made a difference in her entire village. Who's the one person that God wants you to go and share the gospel with today? Maybe they're the ones that are going to be the next Billy Graham, or the one that's going to share the gospel with the world. Many Samaritans from that town believed in this because of this woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did, verse 40, so that the Samaritans came to him. They asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. Verse 42, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. It came off the woman onto Christ. They invited Christ. They were saved, and they were changed because of one interaction that Jesus had with a woman. What's the one interaction that God has for you? Who's the person there that we're to love? Who's the social outcast that we're to love that God wants to use? Are we willing to initiate and talk and gracious enough to listen? Will we be studied up to share the gospel? Are we ready to be fulfilled? Are we going to be ready to be fulfilled with the work that God has given us? Some of us might look and go, well, I can't talk to the masses, but you can talk to the one. Just one. And maybe they're the key to unlock the village. I want to show a movie clip. I don't do this often, but I think it best illustrates this. Desmond Doss was the only person in World War II to win the Medal of Honor without firing a single shot after the Battle of Okinawa. He had saved 70 men in one night as a medic. A conscientious objector that stood beside his men while the bullets were flying and helping them and loving them. And on this night that you're going to watch, he saved over 70 men. And in an interview with him, he said, that night I just didn't know what the Lord wanted me to do, and then I heard someone crying out, and then I went for them, and I asked the Lord, after I lowered this one down, God, give me another one. Let's watch this together now. Thank <laughs> you. 
She was blind. <laughs> Keep it down. Can you walk? Oh no. We live in a world with a lot of carnage, and it's not merciful, and it's not forgiving to the lost, it's not forgiving to anyone, and there's a lot of people that don't know Christ, and they're looking for somebody to help them. They're looking for somebody to love them, to help them, and, and, and tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to share with them the love of Jesus, and are we going to be the ones that are going to go out? to share the message of Jesus Christ with one more. God has called us. The mission is clear. The gospel is true. It changes and transforms lives, and he, we are his hands. We're his feet. If we don't go, who will? As the worship team comes, we're going to close this time but if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're here today and you would say, you know what, I need to know Jesus. Very simply, I just went through it with you. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He's God. He rose again from the grave. You repent, believe, and receive Jesus into your life to save you because he's the only one that can. And those of us that are saved... Who are we going to share this week? Who's the one more that God has for us to be able to share this message of the gospel with?
we are called. We're to love not only each other, but we're to love those that are unlovable. We need to connect with the lost and follow Jesus' example. I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm glad that we've had this opportunity to, to interact on the gospel because it's you I like. And I'm glad that we're in this together. And so let's honor the Lord this week as we share his message, his love and his message with those that we come in contact with.